Hello, hello, and welcome to CBET's podcast. Today, we're going to be chatting about not being afraid of the Antichrist. Now, viewers at home, please be honest when I ask you this question. Have you ever been afraid of the Antichrist? Raise your hand. <laughs> Me and Ruben. <laughs> Great keynote. So we have the privilege of having Dr. Michael Brown with us today. Thank you for joining us. And Dr. Craig Keener, thank you for being with us today. This is going to be a fun conversation. Well, you know, the reason we asked you guys to come is because we got a hold of this book. It has an interesting title, Not Afraid of the Antichrist. I've always seen the Antichrist as a a formidable foe. (laughs) And uh, so I'm, I'm interested to kind of have a conversation around what you wrote about that gave it this title. So, who came up with the title? Well, actually, the marketing people at Chosen <laughs> came up with the title. See, That's our, our title, good. Craig and I, was why we don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. Okay. And we thought whoever's interested in that subject mm-hmm. will know about it and want to read it. And to whatever extent we have audiences with name recognition, right. popular academic, they'll be drawn to it. But, you know, the publisher looking at wider audience and wanting to draw people in, thought of that being a title. So, honestly, we didn't want to offend people who don't agree with us as if they're all mm-hmm. afraid of the Antichrist and that we're not. But a great theme of the book is courage in the midst of suffering, ah. strength in the midst of suffering. And Craig starts it off talking about the suffering of church in Africa and real yeah. persecution. Yeah. And, and, and whatever the Antichrist is going to bring, is he going to burn people to death worse or bury people alive worse or behead people worse? In other words, people are going through real suffering and have been through centuries. Right. But What's interesting, though, with that title, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, I remember as a fairly new believer, a movie came out called Thief in the Night. Mm-hmm. And it was about Jesus coming any ma- moment and rapturing the, the church out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what we believe when we got saved. That's what we heard. In fact, I probably heard about a pre-trib rapture before I even heard the gospel. Because wow. my friends started going to a church, hearing about it, and were telling me all this stuff. And it's fascinating. Wow, end times and all this. But, but anyway, I remember in this movie... I believe the husband was a Christian and the wife was not. And, and she wakes up and the husband's gone, whatever, and she shrieks and screams. That's how it ends. Wow. And, then, and then we had an altar call afterwards. And, and a fellow I'd led to, to the Lord in high school, his mother came up to respond to the altar call. But it was really get saved so you don't have to go through the tribulation. Wow. Terrible times are coming. Mm-hmm. Get saved so you don't have to go through the tribulation and even verses about we're not appointed to wrath which craig tackles in the book yeah it's really we're not appointed to the wrath of tribulation that's how people believe it so get saved now and the comfort we have first thessalonians 4 comfort one another with these words is the comfort that you're not going to go through the tribulation so i would say that many in that sense are afraid they okay. may love the lord and be willing to follow him but the thought is we have to be rescued from the tribulation or it's not the gospel Right. So they're off, you, you find that they're often afraid of going through the tribulation and not actually setting their eyes on what's beyond the tribulation. Yeah, or just the idea that as believers, we don't mm-hmm. go through that. And the, right. the tribulation is the wrath of God. The wrath of God is only for the unsaved. And there's, mm-hmm. there's some truth in, mm-hmm. in some of that. But it's a, it's a real theology that doesn't even talk about hell and judgment as much as the tribulation, and certainly right. if there is a distinct future time that can be numbered and measured as the tribulation or the great tribulation, it will be horrific, but the question is, is it going to be different than what God's people have had to endure through the centuries, right. and is God unable to protect us from his wrath in the midst of it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think wow. that's that's the the key issue, you know, because when I hear at least low level arguments for a pre tribulation rapture, um, it's a statement of um, how if God loves us, would He dot 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 right? That's the the main the main premise of that argument. Right. And I think that you wrote the introduction, or who who wrote the introduction? Was it was it you? There's this phrase here. Let me read it, and you can claim it. <laughs> Uh, but I want to ask about it. It says this at the very end of the introduction it says our hope is not a halfway secret return of Christ to earth and a secret rapture of which scripture offers no mention. Our hope is our Lord's glorious return witnessed by the nations vindicating those who have sacrificed and suffered for his name. It is the time when the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Messiah. And when we as God's servants consecrated to him will receive our rewards. You know, looking at obviously Revelation chapter 11 there. So help me unpack this because it's so beautiful, inspiring. But is it true? Yeah. I mean, all the texts that talk about Jesus' return, they talk about looking for his return, and in context, they don't make a distinction between the time of the judgment on the wicked, um, the sudden judgment, the unexpected judgment, and and our being raised. Um, for, for example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it speaks of, a time when we will receive rest from our tribulation, mm -hmm. which just means affliction, uh, the Greek word thlipsis, we'll, we'll receive rest from our tribulation when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with, um, with his mighty angels in flaming fire to deal out judgment against the wicked and mm -hmm. to be glorified in his saints. It's, it's all one package. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the um, passage to which I was referring there in Revelation chapter 11, again, we receive our reward not at a time different from when the, the judgment comes on the earth, but at the same time. Um, Titus chapter 2 talks about uh, our, our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. not something secret, but his, his glorious appearing. So yeah. it's a... It's it's one hope, mm. and that's that's what we look for, and that's what the church has looked for through yeah. history. Do you? I mean, in the beginning of the book, you did you you told us of a number of stories of tragic events that have happened throughout the continent of Africa, and um, I was wondering if you see different characteristics within the bo body of believers there to which you see in the Western world, where we haven't gone through tribulation as such. You know, we've had a bend offender or we've cut our finger off, but we haven't had tribulation in that sense so do you see different characteristics yeah <clears throat> i think the church in different parts of the world is we, we have we have a lot to learn from one another mm. so i know when i was going through the deepest crisis of my life after my conversion it was the african-american church that took me in and put me back together mm. because they knew how to deal with pain in a way that the white evangelical churches that I'd been a part of weren't accustomed to. I mean, they were very, very careful doctrinally, but right. <laughs> in yeah. terms of dealing with pain. I was at a um, missions headquarters of a, of a major mission when word came in from China. I think this was around 1989, or maybe it was a little bit before then. Um, but word got back that the church had, had really flourished and, and, and was strong 
despite uh, the sufferings under under Mao, and some of the uh, the missionaries went back and and they were they were like, hey, we're back, and they said, you told us before before you left mm-hmm. that we wouldn't go through tribulation uh, if we were believers, and then you all disappeared. We thought that. You had been raptured and left us behind oh, wow. through the great tribulation. We we know how to do this ourselves now. Gosh. We don't really need your help. <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. wow, that's pretty gangster. I mean, I mean, it's 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 sad. Oh, it's heart wrenching. But that that Gosh. that they would you know have the the insight to realize yeah that message it doesn't compute right now because <laughs> yeah. this is what real experience says. Nor- Northern Nigeria, so many believers have been martyred. You know, we had 9-11 here, but four days earlier, genocide against Christians started in, in, in Jos, uh, September 7th. And I was desperately trying to get some attention for that because, I mean, I had, I had some friends who were actually trapped in a, in a church that was surrounded. They were in there with a corpse and no water for a few days. Uh, but a lot of a lot of people were killed, and uh, about as many people as were killed on 9/11 here wow. were killed over the course of that year. Wow! Um, yeah, it was it was terrible. It's terrible. Gosh. And I think the condition of the church in its history has mostly experienced affliction and suffering. It's it, it's like almost like this is a weird. Um, yeah, the American scene. Yeah. Is, is different. And, and some of the scene in the West, and, and look, uh, obviously some people say, well, there's a difference between persecution and the wrath of God and tribulation, which of course we address in the book. But just to stay with your subject for a moment, if you ask yourself, who is more physically fit, an NFL player or a spectator in the stands? The answer is obvious. On average, night and day, the player. Yeah. So it's the same way with those who've been tested for their faith right. versus those who've not, the, the parable of the sower, the seed that falls on in, in, in shallow ground. So when tribulation arises, testing for the word, persecution arises, they quickly fall away. Well, what if that trouble doesn't rise for a while? Right. They may look like real converts, but there's no real depth. Right. Uh, my friend in, that I work with in India has planted over 7,000 churches in tribal oh, regions, wow. areas that were completely unreached, now totally reached, and he's been Gosh. stoned for preaching the gospel. When we've been there together, we've had militant Hindu crowd take over the stage with knives and razor blades. I mean, oh, it's, wow. we've been in some dangerous territories. And he's had probably four of his, of his church planters martyred so far. And then I, I washed the feet of the widow of one of the men we had sent out. He was killed for preaching. And when they do water baptisms, this is water baptisms, not ordination to ministry. Water baptisms. At the end, he asked them, are you willing to follow Jesus to your last breath, to your last drop of blood? That's at water baptisms. Uh, there's a colleague uh, in the Middle East, when I was interviewing him on my radio show, so he works with a lot of Muslims coming to faith. He said, before we baptize them, we ask them two questions. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to die for Jesus? And if they don't say yes to both, 
we don't baptize them. He said, imagine church membership in America. It's like, okay, so you like the, you really like the pastor's teaching series that brought, and you find the parking convenient here, the children's program, excellent, and you like the coffee yes. in the lobby. Okay, we just have two more questions before you sign up. <laughs> you know, are you, yes. how, how many members would we have? So thank God for the opportunities we have. Yeah, We're able yeah, to fund yeah. the gospel. There's right. so much good that we can do with the opportunities we have, it's not to lay a guilt trip on people if they haven't suffered, right. but it is abnormal. It right? is. 2 Timothy 3.12, all those who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, or right. Jesus in John 15, if the world hated me, they'll hate you, or Jesus in Matthew 10, right? If the master of the house is called Beelzebub, how much more the servants of his household? Yeah. And then John 16.33, Jesus said, in this world, you yes. will have tribulation. Yes. Yeah. Be of good treasure, overcome the world. Or Acts 14.22, you must, through many tribulations, pass through them to enter the kingdom. Yeah. It's not salvation by works, but getting from here to there, mm -hmm. there there's a lot of opposition on the journey. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the norm. And, and at the very least, we want believers to understand that and have the mentality of an overcomer. And yeah. both of us, there, there's a lot where we covered separate ground, but then some, there's overlap, and we both highlight in Revelation 2 and 3 the message to, to him who overcomes, to him right. who overcomes. Yeah. That's the message to the church in the midst of challenge and suffering. As for the wrath of God, there is ample reason to believe God can protect his people from wrath right here right. on the earth. Mm -hmm. Wow. In Revelation 2 and 3, when you look at the seven churches, they were each, well, almost each of them had different things that they had to overcome. So there were, there were two churches that were persecuted churches, mm -hmm. Smyrna and Philadelphia. Yeah. And they're the only two churches that are unconditionally commended, mm -hmm. whereas the other churches are at varying levels of compromise with right. the values of the world. So, uh, you know, if those who are persecuted and all those who wish to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, mm -hmm. 2 Timothy 3.12. So those who are persecuted have to make choices, yeah. and their faith is tested, and so they're, they're going to stand. And yeah. And also, when you stand, I mean, I've been beaten for my witness here in the U.S., so it's possible, you know, you're yes. sold out for Jesus, and you're sharing Christ in certain places, even in the U.S., you can right. really suffer. Testing. Yeah. yeah. Do you, would you say there are some practical steps, um, maybe for some of our listeners who have never experienced persecution, obviously the grace of God is sufficient so that even when we do go through the tribulation at the end of the time, he can keep us even if we've never experienced tribulation. But what are some practical tips for our listeners to have a prepared heart for that time? Before Daniel faced the lion's den, before his three friends faced the fiery furnace, they were faced with the test of the king's food. Mm. Were they going to compromise? So we have our, our tests, and if we can pass the smaller tests, that that's what prepares us for right. the greater tests to come. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so so with that, uh, you know, people often think, well, if someone put a gun to my head, then I'd stand. Right. But, you know, when it's being, like, unfriended on Facebook, I don't want to get into <laughs> yes. trouble. So that's like mm -hmm. saying I, I can't make it up the steps without collapsing from exhaustion. But if it comes to running a marathon, I can, I can do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So as Craig is saying, in the little areas, be it standing in, in school, holding true to what you believe, not backing down on Facebook, not being nasty, but just saying, really, I disagree, taking the flag for it. In your workplace, if I say this, I may not get the promotion. Right. That's real. 
right? We're, you know, when you, when you lift weights, they say it's not the weight, it's the resistance. Yeah. So 10 pounds to one person is like 100 to someone else, but right. you, you handle that 10 rightly. And then the other thing is personal discipline. Mm -hmm. If, with God's help, we live a life of prayer, of fasting, of being in the Word, of saying no to the, to the pulls of the flesh, that life of discipline will now translate right. out into other areas as yeah. well. Yeah. That's good. That's helpful. Okay, so I appreciate that we've touched on this because I was <laughs> I was building my deck and I just turned on, you know, my 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 um headphones to block out the noise of cutting and stuff and it was a radio thing. So I turned it on and just searched for the clearest channel and it turned out to be this Christian radio network um talking about <laughs> This book, actually, oh, wow. but not in a positive sense. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I was offered to have a debate on that, and I said gladly, and then they decided to not have me on. Yeah. <laughs> and instead, just did a negative review. Oh, yeah. gosh. But they, they, they're believers. They love the Lord. They do. They're they do. Yeah. But, but, I, but my point is that when I listened to that, I wanted to listen objectively, because I know they're believers and love the Lord, and they're really serious about their devotion to Christ. And so when I heard their arguments, it was very much based on, on this issue of escaping the wrath. And and it was, how could I not want that? You know, it's a promise that God gave us. And of course, they use their texts that undergird uh, their view. But uh, I just love that you addressed it from a very, really, really uh, emotional place of like, guys, our brothers and sisters mm -hmm. right now are suffering all kinds of horrendous difficulties similar to what we see in the end of time to all the church. And we are living in this weird chasm between you know, of, of relative peace and safety, you know, where there is kind of uh, leave people to their self and have a relatively, you know, peaceful life. And, uh, and I think that that's part of the reason we're, we're out of practice with standing firm on something that, that is worth beyond this life, you know? And so, so I appreciate that as beginning. Now I want to talk a little bit about the antichrist just cause it's in your title and, and it's, and it's just because, and, and, and not that we actually, I don't know if we have really talked about him much because it's not our, our really focus. Our focus is on Jesus and the great and glorious drama before his coming when he's going to establish this perfect reign of peace and glory. But, but there is this, you know, as, as many commentaries like to say, eschatological adversary, who's the antichrist, um, but that, that rises up on the global scene. Uh, but I think w what I remember reading, I mean, there's, there's an end, there's a, there's a timing. Uh, the point is Jesus is just telling us about what will happen before his coming. Can we just address that a little bit? Uh, what is the role of the antichrist and, and how does the church interact during the time, uh, of trial? It's interesting that in revelation, when it depicts the, um, it, it depicts the beast persecuting the saints. The way that the saints overcome, they love not their lives even to the point of death. So it speaks of, of the beast overcoming God's people. And yet it speaks of God's people overcoming because even in the face of martyrdom, ultimately they're the ones who overcome. Yeah. And later in Revelation, it portrays them before the throne and, and speaks of their victory, how they have overcome. So what is overcoming in the world's eyes mm -hmm. is kind of the opposite. It's, it's the same as the message of the cross. Uh, it's the same as, as where you have the, uh, the lamb. He, he hears about a conquering lion, a victorious lion, and he turns and what he sees is a slain lamb. That's, that's 
really at the heart of the message of yeah. Revelation. So um, part of it, I think, in God's plan is to just expose the vacuousness, the emptiness of the world's way of doing things, the wrongness of the world's way of doing things, and to expose the, the foolishness of the world's wisdom, the weakness of the world's power to show God's way, yeah. that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Right. That's good. Because the aim isn't not to die. Right. The aim is to stay faithful until the end. That's what overcoming yeah. is, We're right? You're going to die anyway. Je yeah. <laughs> Jesus says, don't, don't fear those who can kill the body. Right. You're the one that can cast soul and body into hell. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it's not a bad thing if you get a white robe for yeah. dying for Jesus. Surely yeah. that's the best way to go. Yeah, one, <laughs> one persecuted Christian leader said, what, of a, what a waste of a death to die a natural death. <laughs> you, know, and you could die a martyr's death. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. But, you know, in, in terms of, of the Antichrist, obviously... Craig is expert in terms of Book of Revelation and its cultural setting and, and what could be references to persecution in, in Rome and those kinds of things. But if we're looking for the end time figure of which Scripture seems to speak and in 1 John 2 that you've heard Antichrist is coming. So there are many now. So they are anti-Messiah, anti-Christ yes. yeah, in their yeah. actions and, and words and confession. And then uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, you know, the man of lawlessness. Mm -hmm. There does seem to be clearly uh, an end time figure who will be some type of world ruler, however that comes to pass. Obviously, everyone that's been a candidate so far has not panned out. Yeah. Right. Uh, but you can even see, say, in a World War II setting, and yes. some people saying it's Mussolini and the revived Roman Empire, and Hitler is like the, right. the false prophet and the whole thing, but it brought massive destruction on the world and deaths of tens of millions of people. Yeah. So we see the power of this. And even the potential, maybe during vast economic crisis and world upheaval, how someone could come to the front as a savior figure and human beings will go flocking. So it, it also reveals the corrupt heart of, of humans. The, the, and, and if we understand rightly that there's a literal, literal millennial kingdom at the end of which Satan is released after having been bound for a thousand years and multitudes of people follow him, you say, well, what's the purpose of that? To me, it's the uh, ultimate vindication of God's ways to say even in a world with perfect righteousness where you didn't have all the theological objections where Jesus was there fully accessible you still have people rebelling yeah. Yeah. so part of the Antichrist brings out the rebellion and the sin in the heart of people but then also brings a situation where God's people uh, have to make a choice and, and rise up in the midst of it right. but you know there's every argument from you're going to have a microchip in your hand to it's just symbolic of other things to it's a Jewish antichrist or Muslim antichrist mm -hmm. or European antichrist. And obviously, I, you know, from this vantage point, we can only speculate. Yeah, that's right. But the question about wrath, where does that come in? Well, the book of Revelation is filled with references to God's wrath coming in Revelation 16, the vials of wrath from the throne of God being poured out on the earth. So it's a time of God's final judgment. You know, Isaiah 24 to 27, when he shakes the earth, but what does it say in, in the end of Isaiah 26 to God's people? Come and hide in the inner chamber until the wrath passes by. The same way with the plagues being poured out on Egypt. Mm -hmm. They weren't poured out after the first few. They weren't poured out on Goshen. So God made a distinction right. between his people and the world. So he can certainly do that. Yeah. And, and Craig, maybe you could comment on Re Revelation 3, the promise to be kept from the hour of wrath and parallel in John 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 10 seems to be one of those... Those proof texts. <laughs> before, before that, a little bit more on the wrath, because in Revelation 7, we specifically see God sealing 
his servants to keep them mm -hmm. in the midst of tribulation. But also the, the texts that are used for God sparing us from his wrath, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9, um, if, you, if you look at how Paul uses that, that term, orge, else, uh, orge being the Greek word for wrath, if you look at how Paul uses that term elsewhere, of course, it's the same one in, in Romans 5.9, which for some reason people say, that's saved from hellfire, but these other ones are saved from tribulation. But all of them, I mean, that's the way Paul uses the term terminology wrath. When he's speaking of future wrath, he's speaking of the final judgment, right. the day of wrath, mm -hmm. the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And, and so some will, will want to flip over to Revelation to explain First Thessalonians. So over to the last book of the New Testament to explain one of the earliest books of the New Testament, which, of course, the Thessalonians couldn't do. Uh, but... If, for the sake of argument, we wanted to flip over to the book of Revelation, the Greek word orge is used in Revelation only with regard to the final judgment, mm. never with regard to the great tribulation. Uh -huh. the, the word thumos, God's anger, is used with regard to the great tribulation about half the time, but even that one, half the time is used for the final judgment. So it's a completely wow. specious argument. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the one from Revelation 3.10 I'll keep you from the hour of testing, which is to test all those that dwell on the face of the earth. Keep from can mean either, uh, it, it can mean take out of, but it also can mean protect from while you're there, mm -hmm. which is actually the only way that phrase is used elsewhere in the New Testament. Also, right. Jesus speaking, John recording. It's in John 17, 15, where Jesus says, Father, I pray not that you would take them out of the world, so it's specifically not going to be taken out of, yep. but rather that you would keep them from the evil one. And some right. translations simply translate it, protect them from the evil one. Mm -hmm. Well, to be protected while you're there, that's, that's the image we have in Revelation. There's no place in Revelation where it describes saints being taken out before the tribulation. The only way you get saints in heaven before the first resurrection, which happens in Revelation 20, the only way you get saints taken out beforehand that's explicitly described is martyrdom. Right. So that's a, if you'd like to be taken out, there you go. It's a pathway. Even when Craig was emphasizing the, 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 the keep from mm -hmm. is not a common Greek expression with, with the verb and the preposition. So you basically only find it elsewhere in John 17. That's where Jesus wow. is saying, I'm not praying that you take them yeah. out. Oh. Yeah, so it's, it's such an explicit purpose. You keep them from the oh. evil one. So the same way, keep them from the hour of trial, which is coming on the whole world. Right. And yeah. even then, the question is, what did that mean to the Philadelphian church in right. the first place, in the first century? So that's a whole other right. subject. Right. Gosh. So when we, when we talk about the uh, the sequence of judgments, so the bowls, the, the the seals, the bowls, and the trumpets, other way around. Um, when we talk about those 21 events, are we saying that they are the wrath of God? Or are we saying they are the tribulation? Or what would you label those 21 as? And therefore, what are we kept from? <clears throat> Philipsis uh, <laughs> or tribulation can mean a lot of different things. I mean, mm -hmm. There are a lot of different ways you can be troubled. Um, but 
You know, when people say we won't go through the wrath of God, in the same book in 1 Thessalonians, it says we're appointed to tribulation. Mm -hmm. And of course, when Paul summarizes, as you mentioned in Acts 14, when Paul summarizes, or, or Luke summarizes Paul's message to new believers in Acts 14, it's through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. The the ones that are described in Revelation, uh, there are different views about those. Mm -hmm. There's the futurist approach to Revelation where these are like, seven years, or there's a mixed approach where some of them are present and some of them are future. I tend to think all of them end with the, the end of the age. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see them as basically parallel, especially the, the uh, trumpets and the bulls where many of them are one-to-one one one parallel. Okay. A lot of these come directly from the plagues on Egypt. Yeah. So you've got the, the boils and the sores, you've got the water turned to blood, you've got, uh, well, I don't know if the frogs count, but uh, <laughs> you've got the locusts, although these are diff different kind of locusts here. Yes. Um, you've got the fiery hail and, and, and so on. So um, the question is, is this referring to literal events like these composite locust horse people, preachers, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, w with the stings in their tails. Is that literal or is that figurative? Maybe it's describing the kind of judgments, like the kind of things that came on Egypt. That's why in Revelation 11.8, it speaks of these judgments coming on the, on the great city, mm -hmm. which elsewhere is called Babylon. Uh, here is called Sodom, Egypt, and where our Lord was crucified. Now, geographically, those don't all match. Right. But Sodom, of course, the fire fell, like you have in Revelation 20. Egypt was subject to the plagues. And so it may be just, just showing us about God's judgments on the world and how God is vindicating the cries of his people. Like in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, you have, you have the... Uh, the souls who are under the altar. Well, under the altar, that's where they, they poured the blood of sacrifices. So here are those who've, who've been uh, sacrificed, in a sense. Who uh, The text says they, they were uh, killed for the word of their testimony. And so it says that uh, they're crying out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you avenge our blood that's yeah. been shed upon the earth? And they're told to wait a while. And, and then in, in Revelation 8, uh, you have the incense rising up, which is the prayers of the saints. Mm -hmm. and, and after the incense rises up before God, then the trumpets sound. And one after another, you have these judgments. Yeah. And it's like God is not silent. In, in a world of suffering, in a world of injustice, you know, we're, we're waiting for the day of the Lord for, for vindication, for uh, God's justice to be done. But it's not like God is silent in the meantime. God gives all these foretastes yeah. of judgment yeah. in the meantime. However you take uh, the, the seals, the, the, the trumpets, and the bulls, um, God is active in the present. Mm -hmm. like, like Romans 1.18, where it speaks of the present uh, wrath of God in, in the world. Uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of humanity. Right. Gosh. <laughs> I love it. I love I love all the wisdom and knowledge that comes from your guys' brains. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing, you know, 
Craig, Craig is giving the various possible interpretations. Yeah, and yeah. again, he's far more expert in Revelation than I am. But one thing we, we are absolutely dogmatic on, we are not the two witnesses. <laughs> because we, we were wondering. <laughs> Jew and Gentile, uh, hey. That could this, be, but anyway, this could so be we, pretty we worked, cool to have yeah. the two witnesses on our podcast. We, That's yeah. pretty cool. We worked that Where's the fire? Where's yeah. the so fire? For, for the critics, just want to. <laughs> and, and Mike Bickle's not one of them either. <laughs> just want to make that plain. Actually, according to one, one very <laughs> common interpretation among scholars, the two witnesses represent a, a twofold witness of the church. And so. In that case, we are among the two witnesses. We're among, right, right. We're among. <laughs> nice. But here, here's what's interesting, though, just a little history. Yeah, please. So uh, Craig got saved out of atheism, but he was, you know, an atheist out of intellectualism and think the smart people are atheists. I got saved, a heavy drug user, went to pull my friends out of church, got saved, but neither of us had background in the scriptures. My nominal Jewish upbringing, his upbringing didn't have it. So... Uh, and we both get saved in pre-trib preaching churches. So that's, again, I heard that before I heard the rest of the gospel message, wow. or certainly at the same time. So that's, I just thought that's what you believe, right? Right. So we both get very hungry for the word and hungry to know the Lord. And, and by the time I'm saved a year, I'd spend at least six or seven hours alone with the Lord. So it was the days before cell phones and PCs, a lot of distractions. So it was literally six or seven hours, wow. at least three hours in prayer and then reading the word two per, hours. Per, per day. Yeah, per day. Not, not, not for the whole year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that what I said, per year? No, you well, just didn't oh, say anything. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so per day. So at least six or seven hours. And so I'd read the word two hours a day, and then I'd memorize verses for an hour. I, I could memorize wow. 20, 20 verses a day. So I did that every day for months and months. And then Craig, feeling he had to catch up because he didn't know a lot of stuff, he starts reading the Bible 40 chapters a day, correct? Wow. Right, so... Anyway, we both, now we only found this out when we're coming together to write the book. We, we both are, are pressed with questions now about pre-trib rapture and all this. And I realized, wow, I really don't know a lot about that. Right. Um, the people in my church know a lot more. So I've got to buy all the books now to learn the system. Now, anything else you ask me, why do I believe this, this, I quote endless scripture. I didn't have all the compassion or wisdom, but I'd mow you down with machine gun quotation of scripture. <laughs> but when you ask me about this, it's like, oh, I don't know much about the difference between rapture and second coming. So, so I start to dig and learn more and so on and master the system and right. I'm really dogmatic about it. This is the right system. All the others are wrong. And then a couple of years after that, so maybe I'm saved four or five years, someone starts circulating this book in our little church about pre-trib rapture not being a biblical doctrine, and it arises in the 1800s, and so on. And whether the book was right or not, it got me remembering, wait a second, you didn't get this just reading the Bible. Right. You got this reading other books. Once I stepped away from that and went back to Scripture, it's like, it's not there. Right. So with all respect to many fine friends I have, scholars we know, missionaries, pastors, leaders who are pre-trib, who love Jesus, who are some of the saintliest people that we know, with all respect to them, I do not believe you'd ever come up with this system just reading the Bible on your own. And, and Craig's situation is, was very parallel to mine. Gosh, yeah. right. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I memorized all the proof texts we were supposed to learn for different <laughs> things. And but, the last trumpet was different than the seventh trumpet. Oh, yeah, you look at... You look at uh, Jesus' teachings about the end, and then you look in Paul's writings. Uh, you look in First and Second Thessalonians, and there's all these parallels where he's 
basically, you know, giving you what Jesus said about these things. But if you take the parallel seriously, Jesus coming with the clouds, his coming to gather his saints and all these things, it's clearly what, what Matthew 24 and Mark 13 places after the tribulation. Yep. Right. It's, it, it, there's no, you, you wouldn't see two, two stages of the second coming or something like that. So I, I didn't see it in the context of these passages, but I was like, well, I don't know if there's any other option. And then, and then a friend said, now you're going to think I'm crazy, but I had this vision of the church going through the tribulation. I'm like, oh, okay, actually that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, and so uh, That's awesome. you know, my pastor, he was, he was pre-tribulational. He had been taught pre-tribulationalism in Bible college, the same Bible college I attended afterwards. And he, he was like, he didn't agree with me, but to him it was not a big deal. I mean, he was very gracious, very pastoral. But the guest evangelist, you know, this was his big thing, was teaching on end times prophecy. So he was very patient. He took me aside uh, one afternoon after church and just spent a few hours with me. And he would show me this verse and this verse. And each time I would just look at the verses around them and and say, well, look at the context that this is talking about the second coming. It's talking about mm-hmm. after the tribulation. It's not talking about before the tribulation. And he finally got frustrated. And keep in mind, this is the, the 1970s, late 1970s. And he said, who do you think you are? You've only been saved a couple of years. No, it's true. I'd only been saved a couple of years. I had been beaten for my faith, wow. beaten for my witness, had my life threatened for my witness already. But he said, who do you think you are? All men of God are pre-tribulational. Jim Baker is pre-tribulational. Jimmy Swaggart is pre-tribulational. You have to be pre-tribulational. Wow. And I said, okay, you're right. I just have to believe what, what my uh, elders teach me. Gosh. And so I, I tried, but it was, it was a while later that I found out that nobody, or at least almost nobody, believed in this idea of two stages of the second coming mm. before 1830. That's at least when it was popularized. Right. And so I was like, you know what? From now on, I'm never again going to just take people's word for what I should believe. Yeah. From now on, I'm going to go back and search everything in light of Scripture. And it was so clear in light of Scripture. Wow. I mean, in Bible college, we'd get into these debates, <laughs> and people would make fun of me. Some people would make fun of me. Um, <laughs> but I never lost any of the debates. That's good. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, there was one person who told me, okay, well, I think you've persuaded me that the Bible does say what you're saying, but, you know, I've been taught pre-tribulation, and I'll always be pre-tribulation. Wow. Wow. But Gosh. they, I think they did change their mind later. But that was <laughs> yes. like, Discouraging. Don't, don't hold on to yeah. a yeah. doctrine above scripture right when scripture is the source for our teaching mm-hmm. uh, yeah. be, be ready to adjust based on what scripture says yeah, and, yeah. and if it's one of those things where whatever it is it doesn't yeah, matter whose whatever. system or belief or obviously you respect leaders and you honor leaders mm-hmm. and even if they're wrong on a, a certain doctrinal point they may be godly leaders and yeah. right. pastors and all that but if you think, well, I've been, I've been reading the Word, I love the Lord, I've been reading the Word for years, and I, I've just never seen that. Don't assume it's because people are smarter than you and they know more. It just could be an inherited doctrine. Right. Yeah. Just say, hey, well, let me, I'm just going to get on my knees before God and say, look, I'm just a little sheep. I don't really know much. None of us do, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You're the shepherd. 
So I'm leaning on you to guide me into all truth. I'm yes. going to study your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask for insight. And I'm, I'm asking you to give me the courage to follow it wherever right. it leads. And that's a good point. I mean, forever we're going to be on that sea of glass, continually getting a new revelation of who God is. So even in our 70, 80 years on earth, we're really not going to grasp that much compared to the millennia we have before him. Um, growing up, my dad said to me, he was like, surely it's better to, you know, prepare to go through the tribulation. And if he takes us out beforehand, yay. <laughs> but instead of thinking we're going to get taken out and then we have to go through it. So. Yeah, I, f I feel like that's, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's better to be prepared for something where, you know, what the Bible teaches us to, to that we're going to suffer. Even Peter says you may have to suffer all kinds of trials. And I think we're just out of practice. We're, we yeah. think that being Christian means we'll be spared yeah. from any kind. And then we just cope with the one-liners like, well, he won't give you more than you can handle. Or, you know, those kind of uh, one-liners that have no backbone to, yeah. to try to figure out how to prop up this ideology that we're going to live in relative peace and comfort as Christians. And so I love that your heart, that... That, that bleeds through is a passion for the word. Yeah. Is it in the word? Friends, is it in the word? And I love that. I love that about you. So I, one last question, just because I'm curious. Oh, go ahead, uh, before I ask my question. We do have to deal with the imminence argument. Is that your question? Uh, no, actually. It's okay. much lighter, but go ahead and let's talk <laughs> about imminence. What, one of the main arguments for the pre-tribulational rapture is that, well, you know, if it's at the end of the tribulation, we can count down, we can predict it, mm -hmm. as if we know when the tribulation begins. And right. Part of this depends on how we define tribulation and, and so on. But, uh, you know, we, we need to be ready to expect the Lord at any time. Well, I, th I absolutely agree with the heart of what this is, that we always need to be living in light of the Lord's coming. We yeah. always need to be ready for the Lord's coming. That's what we're looking for. That's right. our blessed hope. But the problem is that all the texts that talk about imminence, if you look at the context, if the context tells you anything at all about the timing, the timing is after the tribulation, not before it. It's all one hope, the blessed ah. hope of our Lord's return, his glorious appearing. And, I mean, you, you look in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, there's only one coming specified that's the coming afterwards that's where he says he comes like a thief in the right night. yeah uh, i mean there are a lot of other arguments we deal with in the book but that's that's one of the uh one of the major ones but all the texts that talk about his imminent appearing second peter chapter three the day of the lord comes like a thief in the night in which the heavens pass away with a great noise and the elements melt with fervent heat if that's the beginning of the tribulation, where are you going to have the tribulation? <laughs> yeah. All right, good point, good point. Uh, Touche. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that while we all live in readiness of the Lord, because the one thing guaranteed is we die yeah. as he comes first, exactly. right? And no one has a guarantee on tomorrow. Right. And because we love the Lord, we're not trying to get away with sin or, you know, well, he's not coming for all so I can sin. We, we love him, we want to please him, right? But one thing for me that was freshly edifying in going through the text here is, while there is the emphasis on readiness on a, before the Lord, it's readiness because of the what more than the when. In other words, what okay. happens when he returns mm -hmm. and, and what we will become when he returns. Yeah. So that's the focus. It's, it's Jesus and who he is and longing for his appearing and being wow. with him forever. And sometimes uh, it's to the credit of the pre-trib preachers and teachers that they've brought emphasis to the second coming that's right. been great 
the negative side has been sometimes it's been so much concentration on the prophecies and this and that. We've taken our eyes off the reality of his return. Right. And in one of Craig's sections, he just goes through what happens when the Lord returns, what happens to us and who we become and, and his glory. And it, that's, that's the hope. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. Not it could be any second and we're out of here. No, no. Right. We're going to be with him and we're going to become like him yeah. in a certain way in, in resurrected glory and it, it's wonderful to behold and it's sobering and it's overwhelming and with that judgment and accountability right so it, it's a whole package that sometimes when we debate the specifics we miss the larger hope yeah right. blessed hope the and, blessed and hope. that's what craig and i hope that as you read not afraid of the antichrist you'll be caught up refreshed with that blessed hope and we started reading from the introduction yeah the the whole idea not just we're out of here one day Right, so you know you're driving in the car, and it's like, where? With the Uber driver? Oh, no, he was a Christian. I show, man, I knew I got the wrong car. Next time, get a Muslim Uber driver. Then you rapture. Instead of that, right? Or make sure the airline has only ungodly pilots. Oh, yeah, there you case, go. Right? Perfect. But, but aside from those kind of scenarios, yeah. think of this. Instead of that, here the whole world persecuting us, hating us, mocking, maligning, you know, mocking our God, and Jesus appears. For the whole world to see, right? And in the full view of the whole world, we are caught up to meet him. Right. And as Craig points out, First Thessalonians 4, meeting him is that that's like the entourage going out to meet the emperor as he returns. Right. We are now glorified and escort him back to earth in the eyes of the whole world. That's exciting. Wow. That's, that's the exciting. second coming. Wow. Gosh, thank you to Jesus. Okay, so now for my question, just because I want to get it in before we close this podcast. How did you end up crossing paths to write this book together? Like, I'm curious, you know, just a different, you know, I mean, you have very similar minds and that you're very bright, but like, how did you come together to write this book? Well, first, what you're holding in your hand is a miracle. The miracle is that the two of us wrote it and it's only like 200 something pages. I did notice how readable it is. Yeah. Yes. So what happened was, as much as we hold to these things, we've never made it a major emphasis and we don't divide over it. But Jane Campbell, a mutual friend who's an editor with Chosen, she's a phenomenal editor, she approached us and she asked us if we would, if we would do it. And because Craig and I are dear friends and just love to have an opportunity to do something together, this was just presented to us. So, wow. she, so she kind of made it happen and then we brainstormed as to who would do what and so on, you know, which sections and and then that's how it came together. That's amazing. Wow. And, and we, we got together because, at least back then, there weren't a whole lot of charismatic scholars, or at least we didn't. Well, there, I, there yeah. actually were, but when most we of first them were connected. in right, the right. closet. But yeah. <laughs> we, so, oh, I yeah. see. Well, that's to amazing. all you editors out there, know that you can make history. <laughs> <laughs> can we, can we put a link? Below. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we're gonna put a link uh, so you can get this book right now. You can get it, I'm sure, on ebook and all that. But uh, I'm I'm old school. I like the hard it's copies because I like to I like to scribble on there and highlight and tear it apart so I can go back to study it. So I just want to recommend this book to begin to get an understanding because yeah. most of us, if you grew up in America, you you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, even if you don't know you do. Your grandma, she probably believes in pre-trib rapture. And so, and so it really does help to understand what is yeah. our foundation, where are we coming from. And so I want to recommend this book. Thank you guys so much for writing yes. it. I know that you know during the symposium, you guys also talked on that. And so I'm so glad 
for this book, for this resource, and I'm sure there are many more to come. Yes. So, so thank you, Dr. Brown and Dr. Yeah, Keener, for, for joining us. And again, if you haven't listened to our previous podcast, you can find us on Spotify, Apple yeah. Podcasts, or any outlet that you use. And we look forward to seeing you next Friday, 2 p.m. Central Time. That's right. Peace. <laughs>